Hello and welcome to Voice of the Soul. This is Lenny Guerin and this is a podcast regarding the election and what I believe is our spiritual and karmic responsibility to vote. It's been a very difficult time, of course, for me as well as most people in this country to feel like we're having any kind of normal life whatsoever, given the fact that our politics are crazier than they probably have ever been. Although we didn't live during the time of huge oppression and slavery when it was probably the worst when Lincoln was president or when Washington was president. But in any event, we are now facing a very huge crisis in our democracy and in our life, and we can't just stand on the sidelines and hope. We have to take action in whatever action we can. For me, it took this long to actually do this podcast. For all the time that I spoke at Key to Life after my mom had retired, who spoke there for 33 years, and then I spoke there for 10 years, I'm actually an ordained minister, and um, I am technically a Christian, although I am not a traditional Christian. I would probably be called a mystical Christian, which wouldn't be necessarily um, approved by most Christians, since Christians that are traditional or, you know, pretty evangelical type Christians have a fundamental way of looking at the Bible and how it should be followed, and I don't. I've studied years and years and years of the origin of the Bible, and therefore I have devised my own belief in what I believe Jesus came here to do. And the way most of us are acting right now is about as unchristian as we can get. And it's really crucial that those of us who stand in a really liberal spiritual belief system make a stand. You know, sometimes it's easier not to stand up and fight. Um, sometimes it's hard to have courage, uh, especially when there's a really aggressive flow of information and people who are really strong personalities. I avoided the subject of politics when I was speaking at Key. There was always this thought that, you know, religion and politics shouldn't be you know, combined, although let's face it, there were many, 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 many Christian fundamentalist groups who were not shy about who they endorsed during a presidency. Um, I don't believe we should be mixing our spiritual or religious beliefs in politics unless it helps the country and everybody universally. Because I believe everybody has a right to their own religion and has a right to their own lifestyle and has a right to make their own decisions about their own bodies that in pure equality of everybody on every side, uh, I don't stand in the same place that tries to use our constitution or to twist it in order to fit my spiritual belief systems. I believe we're all governed by a karmic divine, as you sow, so shall you reap law, and that that is in place right now, even though it seems as if so very many people are in a place of uh, judging and making decisions based on 
religion or based on control or based on lots of other things. I like to use quotes when I'm speaking uh, for a couple of reasons. I don't have to reinvent the wheel when somebody says something really awesome. And it also triggers my own thought process and completes it in a way that I think is helpful. Um, I always have been into using quotes for years and years and years, and I've assembled a lot. And tonight I actually came up with a lot of new ones based on political leaders in the past. And for me, it was kind of interesting because I led myself down the path of looking at lots and lots of Republican quotes for obvious reasons I'll get to in a little while. First, let me explain that I was a Republican most of my life. Um, most of my life. I was brought up a Republican. We vote Republican as we were told by our parents that you vote Republican. Um, and then we had a severely handicapped son. And we still have Taylor with us, thank God. He's very, very severely handicapped. And it's a long, long story I won't get into. He is extremely high risk during the, the COVID issue. And... Um, Dealing with that has been difficult in keeping him safe, making sure we don't leave. Um, it's been months of making sure he's okay and we're okay so we don't get him sick. But during that time, you know, I had a really high-paying job, and I worked for corporations, and um, I was a vice president of a corporation, and I made a lot of money. I had to pay for my staff out of pocket, and over time, I realized any time I tried to find any help, there wasn't any. There wasn't any help by the government, and um, the only way I could get any help was truly to appeal to social services which at the time was really hard because we were under a lot of Republican influences and realizing that social services are primarily a democratic belief system. We did a lot of studying, and one thing I learned, I was taught as a Republican that you don't get to keep your money if you vote Democrat, that the Republicans are the only ones out there keeping you safe from losing your money because there's so many really horrible social liberal programs out there that are taking your money. Um, I learned that when people are in need, they need to know that their government's going to take care of them and help them. And we needed help with Taylor. We were paying so much money to have staff even come in because we had to have nurses to take care of him so I could work that it was insane. And, um, it really came down to where I had to make a decision to continue a corporate job or to change my entire life and stay home and be a mom and do other things to make money, um, which was pretty shocking. And um, I learned a lot politically because I had to. And um, I never voted. I didn't vote because I didn't believe in anybody who ever ran for office. And so it took a long, long time for me to become what I call a born-again uh, Democrat. Um, but I still am in a place where I would vote for a person. If the parties weren't so split and it wasn't so ugly, I wouldn't just vote Democrat to vote Democrat, except most of the time the Democratic vote is far more concerned with the people than it is with the corporations and the money, and that's not a lie. If you dug into the actual issues as a Republican, and saw what's out there that needs to be done to help people. Or if you were in a dire situation where you needed help, you would find out that there is a huge imbalance in the way the Republican Party looks at helping um, 
the population. Uh, it's pretty much set up so that people can keep their money. Um, and, you know, yay, rah, rah for that when I was making money. I thought that was really awesome until I needed help. And then it was a, a rude awakening. And people really shouldn't blindly vote just because their parents blindly voted. And it's shocking how many people do just vote that way because they were told to, because their mom and their dad did. Um, that was me. That was me until 20 years ago. And then I finally went, wow, you know, what am I doing? What do I know? What don't I know? And then on the path I went. So the first quote that sets up kind of where I want to go with this is by a woman named Michelle Jean Nydick. And it says, it's choice, not chance, that determines your destiny. And we are sitting in a place where our choice is huge. And I don't mean just the choice of how we're going to take care of our own bodies, which is already at risk because of what I think is the craziness of trying to put um, a justice on the Supreme Court. I think it's wrong and it's unfair and it shouldn't be happening. But um, I lived at a time when abortion was illegal in Minnesota. And I've got lots of personal stories about how horrific that was that I will not share. But um, I'm just going to tell you that people were in life and death situations that didn't have any choices. And I am not a believer that a woman should have somebody else deciding what happens to her body. I don't believe people should use abortion as birth control, and it isn't an easy thing for people to choose. So the issue of Roe versus Wave is not something that should just be, you know, tossed into the wind and decided politically. You know, a woman's body should be her decision. And her decision to do that karmically with her God and uh, her belief in her God and what that means to her spiritually. It's a spiritual decision. And when you can't do stem cell research and you can't use stem cells to help someone like my son because it's considered that a, that a stem cell is taking a life, and then you see someone like my son having multiple seizures who could one day be able to walk, maybe talk, maybe because of stem cells. And yet people are more concerned about a stem cell than they are people who are alive, who are suffering with injuries because, you know, the pro-life stand and the Republican side is stem cells are a life. It's a, an embryo is a life. And um, it really doesn't take a lot of scientific research to understand or spiritual study to understand that we as women were made to create humans. I personally don't believe that the soul enters the body until the, the child takes its first breath. I do believe that it imprints on the soul as soon as it starts moving at five months. So I'm not a fan of late-term abortions, and I'm not really going to say a pro-abortion issue at this point, except that your choice is your choice, and it's something that should be embraced and not dictated by somebody who doesn't know you or somebody who has a different belief system. But in any event, I'm going to get off of that because that's a huge subject and talk about the fact that I mean choice and not chance determines your destiny. Is that we're choosing right now what the destiny of this country is going to be. I don't like where the country has gone. It's sad. It's depressing. It's unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. Um, I think it could go on and on and on with using different adjectives. But I'm just going to tell you that we have to stop being afraid to stand up and be heard and do what we need to do. Um, as bad as it was to watch 
the riots and the looting and everything that happened when George Floyd was murdered. Um, I mean, it was horrible because I knew those were communities and people lived there and they built their businesses there. And it was sad. It was sad to see their communities and their businesses being absolutely torched. But all of the protesting that started happening because of it, it was meant to happen. It was not that George Floyd needed to die and all of the other people who have died, but their death wasn't in vain if it activated young people to stand up and, and look at this country and have a voice. And the one thing that I've seen, and now this is taking all the violent protesters out and all of the really hardcore protesting that I don't believe in, but the, the peaceful protesting that I do believe in, um, that it gave people a reason to fight back and to believe in the fact that they can make a change and that their voice needs to be heard and that, you know, the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement and everything else, which I absolutely believe in, um, th there was so much education that happened for me and to, to share with my daughter and my grandkids about, you know, how we in our white privileged life you know, thought it was a good idea to just not see color, that that was a good thing if we didn't see color. And my daughter wrote an amazing piece on Facebook and actually took her kids down with a bunch of love grocery lunch bags and donated them. And her kids are six and eight. So, I mean, they're little kids, but drove them down where they could make donations. But she wrote this amazing piece about how important it was to teach that you have to see color that we don't see color as white people. And I taught her, you know, don't see color. Everybody's even, but it's not even because we don't know the plight of people who are a minority. You know, I have minority friends who I love and adore. And one of the most wise men I've ever met in my life who saved my life as a Muslim. And, you know, for me to look at people of color and say, I need to recognize that they're, they have color because their color has been discriminated against and they have been treated like crap and they've been, they have been murdered. They've been, you know, they've, they've been abused. They, there've been so many things that have been wrong because of the color. And those of us who are white, you know, we think, well, it's really a good thing to not see color. It wasn't and Black Lives Matter really woke me up to that. The George Floyd thing woke me up to the fact that I can't not see color. I can't just think I'm being a good good person because I look at people equally. And my grandkids, are, you know, my daughter wrote this, like I said, amazing piece on Facebook, which was about looking at color and that she's going to teach her children that she they have to fight for changes so that there's equality, not just don't see color see the what happens to people who have to struggle who are of color instead of being equal as they have been promised um you know with the way our politics were structured a long time ago but in any event the point is is an entire generation was moved to act moved to act moved to protest moved to peacefully protest and all hell broke loose because our government screwed up. And, you know, I'm sure that this isn't the first time this has happened in this country, but it certainly is the first time it's happened in my lifetime. And it was appalling. It was appalling to see what happened to the people who were peacefully protesting. Um, the stuff that's happened with immigration, absolutely insane. I mean, 
one of the things that drove me the most insane was to see these children taken away from their parents in order to dissuade immigrants from trying to get into the United States. Insanity. I mean, makes me sick to even say it out loud. Some of these kids are still, still in confinement and their parents are God knows where and they haven't been reunited. Who does that? Who takes a child from its parent and causes that kind of trauma in order to prove a point? Um, especially someone who has come from an immigrant family, who has married immigrant women, who has found a way to look at immigration as if it's its own personal thing, but it doesn't, it's not a law that belongs to everyone. So this is the thing that I believe has happened, is as soon as Trump became president, everything that happened that amplifies the awakening of the human ego was activated. And the ego, not only of him as a man, but of the people that follow him. And even those of us who don't follow him, our own egos just blew up. We came here as souls in order to leave this world a better place when we left it. But we also had our own ego, which we have to grow out of in this lifetime. That's really our karma. We came here to overcome our own personal ego. And our own ego is defined as we just look at our weaknesses and our judgments and the things we do that hurt other people, the attitudes that we take, the things that are out of control within ourselves. That's our own ego. Now, sometimes our ego plays a poor me and a whiner and gets attention by manipulating people by being a victim, or we are controlling and agitated and bitchy or, or if we're not being bitchy, then we're being a jerk, whatever the case may be. Our ego is the dominant dark force of our own being. And we came here in order to, I mean, literally we're born here karmically in order to fix the ego. Now, right now the ego Every one of us, our own personal egos are amped up and we're amped up in a negative way. We're amped up in a way that is destructive. And what we need to do is look at it and say, what can I do with my own ego that can be constructive right now? Um, what can I do to put that ego away and come from my divine self? The voice of my soul that is talking to me saying, you can make a difference. You were born here to make a difference. Your voice matters. Your vote matters. Um, I look back at, at decades of not voting because I just couldn't pick a candidate. I didn't like anybody and didn't look at the fact that if I didn't vote, that vote was just going to whoever and didn't even realize that until Obama ran. I mean, it was really one of those times in my life where I absolutely could not vote, be, could not vote. It was something that inside of me said, you need to vote, you have to vote. And there's so many times that I sat down with some of our caregivers or my husband and I sat down with our caregivers and tried to explain to them why they needed to vote the last election. It was difficult because not very many people liked Hillary. And frankly, I was not a Hillary fan myself. Um, I hate to say that because I know that she's an intelligent woman and that she made her political statements and her political life and I had no right to judge her. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils. And so I voted and um, that was something that I tried to get people to understand that if you don't vote, you're casting a vote for the candidate you really don't want in there. But when people make a stand and they don't like someone because they don't like how they sound, they don't like how they talk, they don't like what their history is, 
and they vote for the other person or they don't vote at all, which is even worse, then people get in office like what we have now. So if we look at Trump's ego, which is probably the most misogynistic, egotistical, um, I can't even go any further, I could say some really derogatory things, leader that has ever been in this world, and I can't even call him a leader, I should say been in this country, who's very similar to other leaders who want to be dictators. And his ego energy amplified this entire country into a place of either being aggressive and angry and, you know, gun-toting, political-pounding, you know, let's just square off and have a civil war and let him become, you know, the dictator of the civil war. Um, the egos of people who don't have a spiritual connection or those that do have a spiritual connection but only have it on a religious level, not on a deep spiritual understanding level, and they're voting for religious reasons, which is crazy because the guy is not religious and he's not spiritual. So they're voting on one platform. And you know what that platform is. I'm not going to get into it. So the bottom line is we, all of us, were immediately moved into a place of amplifying up our own ego. And instead of our divine self being able to calm us down, we blew into this place of fear, fear and anger or anger and fear, and we just withdrew. It was mind-blowing. Um, and I believe it's because fear is one of the greatest weapons that people can use to command um, control over people. And for those of us who are already living in fear, like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Our own egos were breathing that in, like, cool, she's afraid, or he's afraid. Let's just live in fear. Well, it's super important for us to understand that we have to look at the fact that we can choose between our fears, which are generated by our ego, which are amplified by the power of this collective egoic mind that has happened since the last election, and that the divine ones the light keepers, the light bearers, the spiritual ones, the empaths, the intuitives, the healers, those who want freedom and liberty and justice for all um, will mount together and stand in light, stand in the divine light that is shining down from the divine realms, creating choice so that we actually make a choice and we understand that that light is protecting us and that it is trying to take care of us. And like it or not, as shitty as COVID is, it amplified people to a place of opening their eyes about what is really in control of our government. I think that many people who left this planet made a divine sacrifice so that we would see what was ruling this country. And we can give thanks and honor the loved ones who have left this plane, knowing that their sacrifice has helped people see just exactly who is running this country. And without COVID, what would happen with this election? Because it stripped a lot of false pretenses away and helped some people who were kind of in the middle see exactly who was running this country. 
and it helped mobilize everybody else to say, holy crap, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And that's, I guess, why I'm here right now is to step in and say, well, let's talk about that. This is another quote I love. Free will empowers us with choice. Every day we choose between the fears of our human mind and the wisdom of our soul. Choice determines our destiny. And that's by Helena Royce. Free will empowers us with choice. And we have free will no matter what our government is doing. And every day we get to choose between being afraid, letting our ego and our human mind create fear, or listening to the wisdom of our soul and making choices that affect our destiny. And this is another great quote on fear that I'm just going to throw in right now. Fear does not have any special power unless you empower it by submitting to it. And that's by a man named Les Brown. I believe most of us have empowered it by submitting to it. And I think we empowered it by submitting to it because it was so damn scary. I don't think most of us thought that Trump would ever get elected. And, you know, still to this day, not sure whether he should have. And so for those of us who did not vote for him and, um, you know, really couldn't believe that that would happen, the shock of having such an absolute polarization of energy really freaked us out. And then it was like, oh my God, now what's going to happen? Well, you know what? There's something besides him that is in control. There is a divine plane. We came from a divine plane of awareness where Jesus, Mary, all the divine archangels, all the master teachers, guides, guardians, Muhammad, Buddha, all the divine entities live. And I believe everybody has the right to their spiritual path. I'm a big believer in Native American spirituality and Buddhism, um, in all kinds of other spiritual belief systems. I don't know enough about the Islamic religion to talk about it. I just know that Muhammad had a lot of very powerful things. And all you have to do is look at some of the quotes and don't get confused with terrorism and, and, uh, and the religion because it's not the same. And it's really wrong to judge people based on that. I mean, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. So if you don't know, then read at least enough to know. Um, but let's just take the religion out of it and look at our, our country. Our country. You know, we invaded, really, this country initially. As uh, You know, we invaded it. It was a Native American country. And then the Europeans came over and invaded it. No, we didn't because we weren't, you know, we weren't born then, but our ancestors were. Some of them might have been good people and some of them might not have been good people. We don't really know unless we, you know, go through a whole study of ancestry. But let's just talk about what the forefathers did to try to create uh, sanity in this country when it was being founded. Because I don't want to go all the way back to how wrong it was to take over the way we did because I could go on forever on that because I'm a huge believer in some of the horrible injustices that happened to the Native American community and the people by the way the Europeans settled this country and took it on as if it was theirs. Um, but it did need to have a government once there were people here and the government took a while for them to be able to come in and, and you know, turn it into something that mattered. But they did. And that was our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all the other things. Um, I'm going to read some things that are straight 
out of our Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Um, it's super important because our Constitution is being ripped to shreds. Um, there are so many things that are wrong and it's being put into this place where, well, let's just, you know, have our own ego opinion and do what we want to do without looking at the way our forefathers really meant it to be. Now, they were not perfect individuals, but most of them might or immigrated here not to come and, you know, do harm to Native Americans, even though many did, but they came here to leave the oppression of a king and the, um, the, the, suppression of having to be told how they could believe spiritually the the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech and the freedoms that they wrote into the constitution they wrote in there so that they wouldn't have a tyrannical king and a tyrannical spiritual constitution that took over or not spiritual religious where religion and state pretty much oppress the people you were told what you could believe and you were told what you could do and that's just the way it was and they a lot of people fled that because they wanted to have spiritual and religious freedom and they didn't want to have a dictator or a king so they came here and so our forefathers put in the constitution and the declaration of independence laws that were to keep us from ever being suppressed by a dictator or a religion that was their goal now, I'm not going to read some of this stuff because some of it would really freak people out, but I'm going to read some of it because it really matters. Thomas Jefferson, okay? He was born April 13th, 1743, and he died July 4th, 1826. He was the third president of the United States from 1801 to 1809, and he was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Now, here are some of his quotes. It matters. It matters so that you can get it. I am for freedom of religion and against all maneuvers to bring about a legal ascendancy of one sect over another. That's a letter he wrote to Elbridge Gerry in 1799. And then he said, I never will, by any word or act, bow to the shrine of intolerance or admit a right of inquiry into the religious opinions of others. Now, many people who are atheists believe that Thomas Jefferson was an atheist. I've done some studying on that, and I don't believe he was an atheist, but I believe he might have been agnostic. He did honor some of the Christian teachings, but he thought they had been butchered and that they were being used as political weaponry in England, and then they were coming over here to do the same thing, and he didn't like it. And this is him kind of talking about this, because, of course, many Christians walk around and act like they're still oppressed like they were in England, and they're not. I mean, it's the biggest, most powerful religion in the world. I'm a Christian minister, so I get that. And no, I am not a traditional Orthodox Christian minister, but I am an ordained minister and have a right to my form of Christianity, which embraces all religions and sees Jesus as a teacher of freedom and love and acceptance and that he came here to teach us how to live and that he came here to tell us not to judge and all the things that most Christians do now would absolutely appall him. I would say do appall him. Okay, this is Thomas Jefferson. Christianity neither is nor ever was a part of the common law. 
Thomas Jefferson, February 1814, responding to a claim that Christianity was part of what was called the common law of England, as the United States Constitution defaults to the common law regarding matters that it does not address. This argument is still used today by what was called the Christian nation revisionists, who do not admit to having read Thomas Jefferson's thorough research of this matter, which is that Christianity was not supposed to be a part of the Constitution. And then if you just look at the first part of it, I mean, he was really, really big on, on a lot of this. Um, he actually went as far as to saying that the clergy, by getting themselves established by law and engrafted into the machine of government, had been a formidable engine against the civil and religious rights. And that was in 1800. And then he said, it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no God. That was Thomas Jefferson who wrote the Declaration of Independence. So I think you can just, and this is all history. This is, I'm not making this up. You can read it. Um, So in reading it, of course, if you look at the whole concept, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, didn't say God, said creator, so that everybody could call it whatever it was, which by the way, the original Bible didn't call it God either. The creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. December 15, 1791, First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, Congress could not add a religion into the Constitution, nor could it tell people what they could believe, what religion they could be, or the fact that they could be atheists if they wanted to be. Then they got into the separation, the wall of separation. The First Amendment ensures that if there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodoxed in politics, nationalism, religion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith, their faith therein. And that was just Justice Robert Jackson wrote in 1943 in the case of West Virginia versus Barnett. That's when they're making people declare if they were Christian or not. And they passed huge judgment if people were not Christian. So that was actually written into the First Amendment that it was absolutely not, not um, okay. It was not okay to use religion as uh, a weapon. And this is John Adams, okay? John Adams was also an author of the Constitution and Declaration. The government of the United States is not in any sense founded upon the Christian religion. John Adams. This would be the best of all possible worlds if there were no religion in it at all. John Adams. So these were not men who came up here and said, let's write a Constitution, a Declaration of Independence, and everybody should be Christian, and we should follow what the Bible says. It was the opposite. They were trying really hard to make sure religion did not get in the way because there was so much religion that was corrupt with the king in England that they had to make sure that they were protecting people to have their freedom to believe or not. And John Adams again, I cannot conceive such a being could make such a species as the human merely to live and die on this earth. 
Now you, you get a little bit further into him and he talks a lot about um, reincarnation and karma. And I mean, these guys had some really advanced philosophies. Let's just, and I've got lots of quotes on those, which I'm not going to get into because there's so many other things I need to get into. Um, ben Franklin, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and of the United States Constitution. And just so you know, everybody in the world knows who Ben Franklin is. So when I read this to you, I'm going to tell you right now that you can look this up anywhere. Just read Ben Franklin quotes or Ben Franklin's spiritual belief system. Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence and that he ought to be worshipped, that the most acceptable service we render to him is in doing good to his other children, that the soul of man is immortal and will be treated with justice in another life, respecting its conduct in this. Now just listen to that. He's pretty much saying that the most important thing we can do for God or the creator or Allah or whatever you want to call great spirit, whatever you want to call the divine creator, that our most important commitment is how we take care of our fellow human beings and that we will be judged based on how we handled that service, how we were treating other people. And that, that that judgment will have to happen after this lifetime. And if we abuse people and if we hurt people, we will pay a debt for that. It's called karma. As you sow, so shall you reap. And no matter what anybody thinks in their own crazy little mind about hurting humanity and hurting Americans and hurting immigrants or hurting anybody else, there will be a debt to be paid whether we see it paid in this country or not. Because one day, everybody dies. And when that day comes, there is an entire divine team that grasps us and say, hey, let's take a look at how you did down there. How'd you do down there? How'd you treat your humans? How'd you treat your friends? How'd you treat your country? How did you treat the laws of the Constitution that were supposed to be free? How did you treat people based on the color of their skin or the right to love whoever they wanted to love? How did you treat people who didn't believe the same as you did? How did you treat people who had a different belief system? These I take to be the fundamental points in all sound religion, and I regard them as you do in whatever sect I meet with them. That was, the, that was Ben Franklin. It's just part of what he had to say. So what's happened since then? Lots of stuff. And depending on the leaders, it got crazier and crazier and crazier. Sometimes, you know, it was moderate. Even if we really didn't like the other side, nothing has ever gone as insane as what has happened in the last four years in our country, except probably the Civil War. And, um, and, I, and I don't think it's a secret that the Civil War... Um, analogy has been thrown out there almost to create more fear. Everything that's thrown out there is a great fear because fear makes people submissive. It doesn't make them courageous unless they're courageous by nature. It makes them afraid. It makes them want to, to hang in and then to try to keep people intimidated so they won't go vote um, because of the pandemic. I mean, I can't go out. Thank God we mailed our ballots in early 
And the beautiful thing is, is that Taylor gets to vote. He's legally blind. He can't speak. Um, he can't walk. He's in a wheelchair. He's total care, but he gets to vote. He gets to vote because there's amazing organizations like ARC, which help with the disability acts and also with the constitution, with the, you know, um, uh, giving us the right to, to vote for him. Um, knowing what would be best for his life and as his parents intuitively being able to ask him intuitively, what do you want, honey? He's 27 years old and he can't speak, but he voted for Obama when Obama ran and we had to fight tooth and nail for them to be able to do the ballot. We had to get the DNC involved and ARC involved, but you know what? He got to vote and he got to vote so that he could keep his rights and it was a beautiful thing. We have a picture of him holding the ballot. Even though he's blind, he has his eyes open. He can see a little bit. But the beautiful part of that is that everybody counts. And everybody gets to have a say. We weren't afraid, even though we were intimidated like crazy by a bunch of people in the voting uh, where we went to take him to vote. Um, but we weren't afraid there would be people with guns or that we, there was a pandemic that could potentially get us all sick. So that whole thing being used as a reason to deter people from voting. And yet there's an 11 hour wait in some of the voting places trying to keep people from voting the most powerful right we have. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of in letting people vote? They're taking away the constitution and letting people vote. And we know what they're afraid of. They're afraid of losing. And that just makes sense. This is a great quote by Eckhart Tolle who basically wrote a whole bunch of books that were on Oprah and people have read. He's normally really super cool about, you know, spiritual writing and kind of lofty and positive. But listen to this quote. The insanity of the collective egoic mind, amplified by science and technology, is rapidly taking, o taking our species to the brink of disaster. Evolve or die. That is our choice now. Now, he should have just added in their um, government as well. The collective egoic mind. What that means to me is all the ego minds that are synonymous with the negative movement of our government coming together and intimidating people and going back to the dark ages of white supremacy and all the other things that people, you know, thousands and thousands of people died to protect. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. So he's right. It's uh, evolve or die. That's what he's saying. It's our only choice now. So how do we evolve? We evolve by understanding what we're doing and what we can do to change it so that it matters. So I did this thing because I love quotes and quotes help me concentrate sometimes on ways to say things, but this was different. I went on to get a bunch of quotes originally from Trump because I thought, well, now most people know some of the really ridiculous things he said, but I wanted to share that. I wanted to share some of the ridiculous things that he said but I didn't want to get into COVID because we all know what's going on because that's in the present. Um, and really, 
If you don't know what he said about COVID and how many times the stories have changed where he's outright lied about things and um, continues to outright lie about things, then you're sleeping under a rock or else you have a whole bunch of people who are on your side just trying to keep things as crazy as possible. In any event, I'm a, I set it up by a topic because I thought this was really important and they're short, but I'm going to read through like literally three or four pages of quotes because I don't just have him. I went from him and then I went to who are our most recent leaders so that we could make a comparison. So then I went to George Bush Sr. And then I went to George Bush Jr. Um, because I wanted to pick Republicans just to see how he measured up as a Republican because I didn't vote for Republicans then. I finally had not, but I didn't really like the Democrats either. So I was kind of a non-voter, which was really asinine in hindsight. I just can't believe I didn't use my vote because of how many people had to fight and the women that had to fight. I I think back at the at what women had to do to vote and the fact that I lazily just decided not to vote because I didn't like anybody. I mean, I could kick my own butt now. So fortunately, my daughter always votes and I'm sure her daughters will vote. And um, we are a voting family. So in talking about him um, as an egoic mind who collectively amassed a following of egos that come from a violent, mostly, angry, gun-toting, thinking that uh, they have the right to mow over people. I'm talking about part of his followers. followers. It's actually scary to me that intelligent, you know, middle Americans um, follow him. I can't even, I can't fathom it. I can't. I just can't even in my mind think, you know, some of the crazy people that are white supremacy people who you know, really love their guns and and really hate black people. You know, I can see why they follow Trump, why other people follow Trump, why the leaders of the Republican Party have not denounced him blows my effing mind. When I get through reading the quotes about him, I'm going to read quotes from George W. Bush and his dad. And then I'm going to read some quotes from Lincoln because he's the most famous Republican and he created the Republican Party, which has been dismantled. I don't know what they're going to be able to do to put it back together because of the people who continued to follow him and didn't stand up because they were afraid they would lose their constituents. It's insanity. If the, if, if 10 Republicans would have stood up like one of the Bushes or like Lincoln, the power that Trump had to create so much hate in the world would have gone away, but nobody did. Nobody did out of sheer fear and terror of this person that is, It's indescribable. Okay, so here's his quote on egos. Show me someone with no ego and I'll show you a big loser. He wrote that in in How to Get Rich in 2004. Here's his quote on global warming. He had many, but this one was just typical. This was on his Twitter account in 19. It's really cold outside. They are calling it a major freeze. Weeks ahead of normal. Man, we could really use a big fat dose of global warming. That was on his Twitter account. And this one, of course, just ticks me off and would tick off anybody else. And he said even worse things about the military families and people who have died and soldiers. And we all know that he, he cheated his way out of serving. But this was on John McCain. John McCain is not a war hero. 
I don't see him as a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you that. And that was what he said in a summit in, in 2018. John McCain wasn't a war hero because he was captured. If you've ever seen any footage of him being a prisoner of war, it was insane. And what he had to go through and what kind of courage that would have taken. And he was a Republican. And he stood on some really strong Republican ideals that, you know, I would have welcomed him in place of what we've got. Um, and what we have has nothing to do with what the Republican Party originally stood for, which is pretty sad. On family, this was about his daughter. So just, we can all talk about the fact there were 26 women who have filed sexual assault charges against him and uh, probably more who are afraid to. And some of the things he said about women, um, including everything that was on um, all the, yeah, about how you can do whatever you want, including grabbing their private parts. But this was regarding his daughter, okay? So just think about your husband or your brother or any of your relatives saying this about their own daughter. She does have a very nice figure. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. Who would say that? Because he's sexualizing his own daughter. I mean, it's not just, it, it's insane. I mean, it's a really insane thing. Um, and almost everything he says is insane. But that one just blew my mind. On his fans. On the people that stand behind him and believe in him. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose voters. That's what he said in sixteen. And I wouldn't lose voters. Shoot somebody in the face. And you know what? Sadly, it's probably true. But what's sadder to me is why doesn't, why, why don't the people in the Republican Party stand up? Why don't they say, hey, enough is enough. You know, we need our party back. We need to have people back in this party who love this country and want to bring us all together because we are all part of the same country on marriage and parenthood. I won't do anything to take care of them. I supply funds and she'll take care of the kids. I'm not like going to be walking the kids down Central Park. That's what he said to Howard Stern in 2005. On Russia, I think he just loves dictators. So, And, um, you know, in the end, we're gonna, we'll find out what happened with Russia. Russia will have much greater respect for our country when I am leading it than when anybody else ever led. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability, because we have a horrible relationship with Russia. Well, you know what? We should have a horrible re relationship with Russia. And him kissing Putin's butt for the last four years and the things that he has not st stood up to that supposedly, supposedly Putin did... It's, it's insanity. You know, he talks about, about um, Kim Jong-un and says that he speaks and his people sit up at attention, and that's what I want for my people, to do the same. He said that on Fox in 18. Yeah, he wants all of us to sit up at attention like they do in North Korea. He respects that. He respects dictators, and um, yeah. I think he's actually intimidated, not just respects. On the absolutely one-sided violence in Charlottesville, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this agrarious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. 
on many sides. When Trump decided to remove the U.S. from the Paris climate, so in other words, he went through both sides, have good people. So on the Paris Climate Accord, he believed that it was in the best interest of America. I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. Um, he doesn't believe in the scientists. He doesn't believe in climate change. And he absolutely threw a grenade in the relationships around the world. It wasn't just those of us in this country that started to feel afraid. It was everybody in the world. Because he is, quote, the leader of the biggest country in the world. They actually call it the leader of the free world. The president of the United States is the leader of the free world. Well, nobody looks at him as a leader. Nobody respects him except for his followers. I mean, everybody in other countries are absolutely appalled that he is our president. And they're afraid. Does he have the finger on the button? What if he gets ticked off and, and throws a crazy, uh, uh, you know, rampage, you know, at how young he is and how amazing he looks and how great it was that he got COVID to teach all of us how you can just get over it and not be afraid and that we should get herd immunity. Do you know how many millions of people would have to die for herd immunity to work? Over 3 million people at the least, and it would take years. So now he's touting herd immunity. Maybe you should all get sick so you can be as strong and vital as I am. But let's not talk about all the steroids and all of the other things that he got that nobody else could ever get because he's the president, the leader of the free world. The whole world will take a sigh of relief when he is gone. Everybody's ego in the whole world who has been afraid, afraid of America, not the same America that welcomed Obama. Not the same world that welcomed Obama. We were respected. We were admired. People looked to us. He was only shut down because the party shut him down. He didn't get to do anything he planned on doing because they shut him down. Oh, and all of the wonderful economic things that Trump did that Obama started, which we could get into, but I'll leave that closed. In a closed-door meeting on immigration with lawmakers, Trump had this to say about accepting immigrants from certain nations. Why are we having all these people from these shithole countries coming here? His wife was an immigrant. His wife's parents were, an immigrant, were immigrants. His parents were immigrants. Um, but let's just lock up the country now that they all are here and everybody's fine. That's what we're supposed to do. Oh, and his first wife was an immigrant. So, you know, his whole thing on immigration is, is one of my worst things because of what he did with the kids taken away from the parents to try to stop people coming in from Mexico. Um, it's, it's a travesty. The trauma that those children and parents will go through, thousands and thousands of traumatic, traumatized little children who didn't know where their mommies and daddies were but, you know, Mr. Macho was over there scaring him away from the border, just like Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Okay, so those are all the things that I don't believe really the Republican Party ever stood for. I just think that that's what this massive ego stands for. But this is what I believe a Republican Party that is balanced and sane stands for. And I don't know why 
the people in the Republican Party don't stand up and reclaim their party because it would change the entire politics of this nation. This is George Bush Sr. On America's diversity in 1988, we are a nation of communities, a brilliant diversity spread like stars, like a thousand points of light in a broad and peaceful sky. Isn't that beautiful? That is a Republican president, a nation of communities, a brilliant diversity spread like stars, like a thousand points of light in a broad and peaceful sky. On America's role in the world, he said, we don't want an America that is closed to the world. What we want is a, a world that is open to America. So in other words, trying to help people know that we, they could be open to us, that they didn't have to be afraid. On America's purpose in the world, he said, America is never wholly herself unless she is engaged in high moral principle. We as a people have such a purpose today. It is to make kinder the face of the nation and gentler the face of the world. That was in 1989. A Republican president. Now, a Democrat would say, oh, yeah, but he made all kinds of mistakes. I don't care. I'm just using it as a comparison, a comparison to what we have that is called Republican. On the American dream, our nation is the enduring dream of every immigrant who ever set foot on these shores and millions still struggling to be free. This idea called America was and always will be a new world. That is where he's embracing the fact that we were all immigrants once, that every one of us was an immigrant once, and that we should be embracing people who believe they can come here and realize their dreams because that's the world that America used to see. I mean, that America used to be for the world to see. And he was, not, he was saying that we have got to make that possible. It's an enduring, an enduring dream of every immigrant and that millions that are still struggling to be free, that they can come here and realize their, their life. And who's stopping that? Are you going to tell me that everybody out there stopping that was born here in America? If you're not Native American, you weren't born here. So you're an immigrant. You're an immigrant. You're the offspring of an immigrant. Or you're the offspring of an immigrant's immigrant offspring. Somehow you were brought over here by somebody else. So you don't have a right to tell other people that they can't seek America to find freedom and new ideals because our grandparents did. My great-grandparents did. Both sets of my great-grandparents came over from England. So I know damn well that, you know, at least three generations ago, it was immigration that got me here and got everybody in my family here. So here's George W. Bush senior son, use power to help people, for we are given power not to advance our own purposes, nor to make a great show in the world, nor a name. There is but one just use of power, and it is to serve people. I mean, that blew my mind. Because, you know, back in the day, I wasn't a huge George W. fan. You know, that was when I was starting to kind of creep out of any kind of Republican allegiance and understand more. But this was the Republican Party. This is what they used to stand for. This is what George W. Bush said to the country. And yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, but oh my God, how could you compare it to what we've got now? So what is your point? 
you might say. My point is you need to be strong and you need to vote and you need to vote so that we can make the changes that matter. And I think we have to make sure that we vote Democrat right now because the whole Republican Party needs to be reorganized. And then the people like George W. Bush and George Bush and, you know, the other decent Republicans will maybe crawl out of the woodwork who've been in hiding and and reclaim their frickin' party. He also wrote this. I believe the most solemn duty of the American president is to protect the American people. If America shows uncertainty and weakness in this decade, the world will drift towards tragedy. This will not happen on my watch. And he said that after the towers went down. What a beautiful quote. What a beautiful, beautiful quote that we had to stay together and that the president had to make the people feel safe, that his solemn duty was to protect the American people and to show them in uncertainty and weakness that we will stay together and fight the battles that can hurt our, our country and our people. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if that's what we felt about Trump right now with COVID? If we knew he was really fighting for us, if he was not lying every time he turned around about what was the right thing to do and changing his mind and being cocky and arrogant about, you know, his own health and his own virility and his own youth and, you know, me, 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 I, I, I. We have never had such a misogynistic, egotistical president in the history of this country. And there's only a couple people in the history of the world who have been this bad. And I would really call to the Republicans and the Republican Party to get your party back. Get your party back. Because we really need you for this country to be balanced. It can't be one-sided. It can't be just all liberals. I mean, it's, it's great to have conservatives. It's great if we can have a talking point. You know, I've been both. So you just can't run around and call me just a crazy-ass liberal because I've been a Republican. The majority of my life I was a Republican. So I get it. I get what it is to drink the Kool-Aid about saving my own money. I also get what it is to be ignorant because you vote because that's what you were told to do when you were growing up. And right now I would give everything to see a Republican Party that lived like this. He wrote, I have a different vision of leadership. A leadership is someone who brings people together. Not, not divide, bring people together. This is the last one I have on him, and I love this. We know that dictators are quick to choose aggression while free nations strive to resolve differences in peace. Well, that isn't what we have right now. Our own nation is being controlled by an aggressive wannabe dictator instead of somebody who's bringing people together. He's tearing them apart planting seeds of violence and anger and bigotry and annihilation. It's insane. Now, I am going to divert to Abraham Lincoln, since he's the most famous Republican ever, because for me it's important that we honor the good side of the Republican Party and hope that we can send energy and prayers that the God we believe in, the creator we believe in, will help bring about the other party 
to its light where it used to dwell. I love Abraham Lincoln and everything I've ever read about him, which I used to really get into when I was a Republican. Still love him, even as a Democrat. I am a firm believer in the people. If given the truth, they can be depended upon to meet any national crisis. The great point is to bring them the real facts. Now, how totally, completely appropriate is that quote to our times right now? This was Abraham Lincoln. I'm a firm believer in the people. If given the truth, which we have not been, they can be depended upon to meet any national crisis. The great point is to bring them real facts. We've been getting no facts. We have been getting waffling lies. But he believed that if we, if he is a president, brought the people the truth, we could handle the crisis and not hide in corners afraid, you know, and, and do what is right. Government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from this earth. That was Abraham Lincoln. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. Doesn't say for the president. Shall not perish from the earth. I love that he said that in a, as a commandment. That wherever he is right now, if he's in the ethereal plane looking down, and he's sending light to the Republican Party, and even light to its crazy leader of his party right now, that it is the opposite of everything he stood for. We, the people, are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. That's Lincoln. Overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. Vote. Vote. Don't wait to vote. Get your ballot and mail it in because Minnesota is really easy. And if you're somewhere else, vote before anything can take your vote away. Because the truth is, if Biden doesn't win by a landslide, Trump will do whatever he can to try to keep the vote tied up and try to stay in office and do all the other things he can do to make it awful. So what we really have to do is come out in ridiculous numbers to make sure that he's absolutely defeated without any question. Then he can't do anything. We, the people, are the rightful masters of both Congress and court not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. Whenever, okay, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just divert to some of the stuff that he said about slavery and some of the things, because he did take on some pretty big stuff during that time. Probably the only time that the whole world was, our whole country was as screwed up and divisive as it is now. He said, whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. If once you forfeit the confidence of your fellow citizens, you can never regain their respect and esteem. Well, that's a fact. My dream is of a place and a time where America will once again be seen as the last best hope of earth. This is Lincoln. My dream is of a place and time where America will once again be seen as the last best hope of earth. This was during the Civil War, I'm sure. 
I mean, where he said that quote, because I'm sure the, the entire world was going, what the hell are they doing over there in that country, that, that America place? They're fighting each other. They're killing each other. And so it was his hope that America would be seen again as an amazing place for people to be. And this is totally, absolutely a commandment, again, from Lincoln. Stand with anybody that stands right. Stand with him while he is right. And part with him when he goes wrong. Pretty obvious. And this one line, ballots are the rightful and peaceful successor to bullets. I mean, what a, what a big statement. If, if, if things were left of their own accord, you know, it, do we kill people in order to have rights or do we vote? Do we carry big guns to make our statements or do we vote? This is Lincoln. Ballots are the rightful and peaceful successors to bullets. And I love this quote. The man who could go to Africa and rob her of her children and then sell them into interminable bondage with no other motive. That which is furnished by dollars and cents is so much worse than the most depraved murderer that he can never receive pardon at my hand. So if as a Republican, you tie your Republicanism into your white supremacy, then you better look at the first Republican who founded the Republican Party who is saying, that anyone who suppresses the African people, which is pretty much anybody who was, you know, who was here, who, whose parents were stolen from Africa, that he would not pardon them, that they were worse than murderers to him. And when people would go over and bring them back to steal them, literally say, rob her Africa, the man who could go to Africa and rob her of her children and then sell them into bondage with no other motive than what is furnished by dollars and cents is so much worse than the most depraved murderer that he can never receive pardon at my hand. That's a pretty big statement. Okay. I know I've gone on and on and on, but this is really an important topic and I haven't done one of these for a while. So hopefully you're with me or at least listening. I'm going to end with Obama because he was the last democratic president and because Biden was his vice president. I saw Obama speak both times he was in Minnesota and I felt like I was in the presence of something divine. I can't even explain it. I went with my sister both times um, one of the target center, one of the XL center, we were in the nosebleed section, waited for hours to get in. And when he walked out on stage, there was a light in that entire arena that you could feel. He emanated so much light that I believed that he had a twin soul in Abraham Lincoln, that there was something about the two of them that had a very similar reason for being and the the light that he was able to bring and the peace and when he spoke he just felt calm and soothed and like he cared and like we were safe and i think we felt so safe that liberals got super complacent 
You know, we got complacent. We just sat around expecting him to handle everything. And he was fighting battles right and left because he couldn't get anything done because nobody would, everybody was fighting him tooth and nail. I didn't get out and vote, you know, for who's on the Senate and who's in the House. Um, you know, just another ignorant concept. We can't lose sight of the fact that we have to make a stand and we have to have a voice and we have to vote. My fellow Americans, we are and always will be a nation of immigrants. We were strangers once too. Same thing that George W. Bush said. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and a Latino America and an Asian America. There is the United States of America. This is the moment when we must come together to save this planet. Let us resolve that we will not leave our children a world where the oceans rise and famine spreads and terrible storms devastate our lands. He was talking about climate when he said that. All of the hurricanes and the, and the forest fires and the crazy things that are happening to our climate is because of climate change. And yet, if you hear the other party talk about it, oh, it's bad forest management, not enough raking of the leaves and cutting down the dead wood. Um, oh, all those hurricanes? Well, there's always been hurricanes. Um, science. Science will tell you that the climate change is changing our weather. And sometimes it's colder and sometimes it's hotter and sometimes it's crazy and sometimes it's normal. That's part of climate change. But Obama made a commitment with the entire world to be a part of a movement that would embrace protecting the planet. And one of the first things Trump did was annihilate that relationship and step away from it and say it was a bunch of BS. So what does the world think of us because of that? We need to change how the world sees us or we will have too many enemies to fight off if they decide that one day they've just had enough of us. The Republican Party needs to take its party back so we can have peace in the world and the world can look at us again, at us again with respect and we can be included in helping this planet be a better place, this world be a better place so that our children and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's children will actually have a planet. My job is not to represent Washington to you, but to represent you to Washington. I see Americans of every party, every background, every faith who believe that we are stronger together. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That is what I see. That's the America I know. And then one of his most famous ones, which was change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. And the last one obviously is more current. And you'll know why as soon as I read it. We're not a fragile people. We're not a frightful people. Our power doesn't come from some self-declared savior 
promising that he alone can restore order as long as we do things his way. We don't look to be ruled. Now, clearly he's talking about Trump, and clearly this is new. So I'm going to read it again because it's so important as it leads to the last quote. We're not a fragile people. We're not a frightful people. Our power does not come from some self-declared savior promising that he alone can restore order as long as we do things his way. We don't look to be ruled. I don't look to be ruled. I don't want a dictator or a king. I don't think anybody does, really. I mean, maybe if you're on his side, you look at him as being, you know, for your causes. But I guarantee you he's for one cause, and that's himself. And all of the people who think that he's fighting for their cause, well, it's BS. He's too misogynistic to fight for anything but himself. It's not even in him. He can only talk about himself. The narcissism is insanity. So there's been only one other person that's ever lived that's been that big of a narcissist. And I think you can probably figure out who that is, who would really um, pound on the podium about white supremacy. This is a quote from the British GQ magazine. And interestingly, it was August 8th of 2020. Joe Biden will win because he belongs to a world before Trump. I thought that was such a hopeful quote. It gave me goosebumps. And this is before all the polls and everything else said he would win. And of course, it's really hard to do that because those of us who voted for Hillary, even if we didn't really want to vote for Hillary, knew a lot of people weren't voting at all. There weren't record early turnouts. Um, but to proclaim Joe, Joe Biden will win, will win because he belongs to a world before Trump. It speaks volumes for those of us who have hidden the wings, afraid, afraid that we're going to be in a, you know, in a world where he and, and his party, which has been corrupted and his followers who are corrupt, most of who are corrupt, some are not. I mean, I have family members who are Republican who I love. I intensely disagree with their political stand, but I still love them as people. I mean, you just have to agree not to talk politics. I remember when I was a Republican and my sister was a diehard Democrat, we get in arguments and we finally had to just agree to disagree. She said, you know, as spiritual as you are and as liberal as you are, I can't believe you really call yourself a Republican because you're not. You don't act like a Republican. You don't talk like a Republican. You really are a Democrat. You're just wearing the wrong skin and the wrong clothes. And you're standing for something you don't really believe in because you're a giving person. You would take care of the world if you could. You know, you're standing on an old platform that we were taught as children that we're supposed to be Republican. And she'd get so pissed every time there was an election because I wouldn't vote. And finally, I thought, wow, I would have hated me if I were her back then. Because, you know, I'm super belligerent about my own, my own stuff sometimes, of course. And I was pretty strong about what I believed. 
or I didn't believe at all, and she knew that losing a vote was bad. And, um, you know, you convert. You convert when you finally figure it out. I don't want a dictator. I don't want a king. I want a president who sees this whole country as unified and who talks to all people to be unified, not to take up arms and hide and intimidate people and, and uh, come out of the woodwork when, you know, he wants more power. I want the Republican Party to turn back into what it used to be when people really could trust that they'd be protected even if their, their leadership was Republican. And in the end, this is really what I believe we all need to aspire to understand. And this was written by Cahil Gibran, who was a prophet back in the 40s. God made truth with many doors to welcome every believer who knocks on them. And Cahil Gibran wrote a book called The Prophet, and it was a really important book that people really loved back then. And it was something that his whole thing was very anti-religion, but very, not anti-religion, but very spiritual. And he also, well, he wrote several books, but he was very, he embraced everybody's right to their own belief system. And this is one of my favorite quotes. It actually was on Key's website as our opening quote, because this is how we believed as our form of spirituality. I love you when you bow in your mosque, kneel in your temple, pray in your church. For you and I are sons of one religion, and it is the spirit. The inclusion, inclusive part of looking at all people as being equal, no matter what they believe, no matter what color they are, no matter who they love. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And anything else is an injustice to humanity and blasphemy in the sight of God. I mean, Jesus, not to judge. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. You know, it's really, really important that we look at what we are embracing as our belief system for ourselves and for our country. And right now is the most important time in your life to vote. No matter how afraid you are, you got to go do it. And try to do it early. It's really, really simple. There are a billion things you can do to click on. You can go to Joe Biden. You can go to the DNC. You can contact your state. If you're in Minnesota, it's so easy. I mean, it's been open voting since last week. I mean, you can go to your polls now in some places. You can mail it in, um, which, of course, someone tried to stop. Um, in the olden days, when the Republican Party was designed, you know, Lincoln tried really hard to spread freedom and acceptance and unity. And I think that spilled down to the best part of the Republican Party for most of its life. But it needs to change now. And it can only change with Biden, Harris, 
And I really do like Kamala Harris. I think she will stand for so many things that we need. She brings in the aspect of race and of women, which is huge. She could probably be president as well as Biden could be president, but she doesn't have the experience yet. Um, she's strong. She's not intimidated. I like that in a woman. There's some really amazing energy those two bring. I don't care how old Biden is. He's got wisdom. He's got compassion. Look at how he suffered through the loss of his wife and his daughter and took a train home to his children, his two boys that survived the accident. I mean, he's, he's a, a man for the people. And then he lost his son the last year of his vice presidency to, to brain tumor. The guy has been through hell and back, and yet he wants to serve at his age to bring our country back. He doesn't need to do that. I think he would want to retire, but he wants to serve because he can't stand what he's seeing. And I like the party of people he will bring with him because I'm sure that Obama, including Michelle, will be standing really close at hand to help. And I'm looking forward to that day, and I hope you are too. I hope you can send this out to some people. Maybe it will help change their mind. Maybe it will just help them feel safe and have another inspired reason to vote. I will be getting back to the podcast. This was just a really huge and important topic, and I know it was a long one, but I hope it helped in some way. I know that my part in this is to listen to the divine voice in me. And when it keeps pushing me to do something and I finally do it, I know it's because I'm supposed to. And so I'm telling you right now that what I hear from the divine ones on the other side is we need to stand up and make a difference. And we need to vote. It's our spiritual responsibility and our karma. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Be strong. And know that your divine self and your God, your creator, is watching over you, and you will be protected. Good night.